When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on Something You Should Know, did you know the internet is an actual place? It is, and I'll give you the actual address. Then, being nice is good, but being too nice is not. So how do you stop being too nice? That involves saying, hey, you know what? Other people and their needs and their desires matter, but so do mine. And I think the habitual nice person devalues their own needs, dismisses their own wants, and is very self-sacrificing. Also, when cars break down on the road, it's usually for one of just a very few reasons. I'll tell you what they are. And if you know how, you can negotiate lower prices on almost anything, even in retail stores. These days, the retail stores are often empowering their cashiers and even their floor salespeople to negotiate. So don't be afraid to ask for a discount. All this today on Something You Should Know. If you have to hire someone, what's the best way? Referrals? Well, maybe that could work. But just because somebody knows somebody who knows you doesn't necessarily mean they're qualified. Or you could pull out that file of random resumes that came in during the last six months. Maybe there's somebody in there. Maybe. Now, if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. As a business owner, I've found that hiring the right people, well, there's just nothing more important. Don't leave it to chance or a referral or a random resume. Use Indeed. In the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash something. Just go to Indeed.com slash something right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on something you should know. Indeed.com slash something. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? Oh, you need Indeed. Something you should know. Fascinating intel, the world's top experts, and practical advice you can use in your life. Today, Something You Should Know with Mike Carruthers. Hi, welcome to Something You Should Know. When you think about all the time that you spend on the internet through all your various devices, you probably still never think of the internet as a real place. It's virtual. But actually, the internet is a real place. Sort of. You see, in order for your computer to connect with all the other computers on the internet, there has to be an actual point of connection, where wires from the network you're on physically connect to the wires from other networks. And there are actual buildings where this occurs. In fact, there are 12 buildings around the world where most of these network connections occur. 
60 Hudson Street in Manhattan is one of those buildings. There's another one in Ashburn, Virginia, near Dulles Airport. Andrew Blum researched all these buildings for his book, Tubes. And he says that when he entered these buildings, they all smelled exactly the same. He says it is best described as a cross between burnt toast and new car smell. And that smell is the smell of the Internet. And that is something you should know. If I were to say, think of someone who is too nice, you probably get a picture in your head of someone who is overly polite, apologizes way too much, is always worried that they're going to offend someone. And maybe you're one of those people, or maybe you do some of those things. While being nice is fine, being too nice can cause some real problems. And being too nice is something a lot of people do. Dr. Aziz Gazapura was one of those too nice people, and he made the commitment to change. He's now a leading expert on this topic, and he coaches people on how not to be so nice. And he's author of a book called Not Nice, Stop People-Pleasing, Staying Silent and Feeling Guilty, and Start Speaking Up, Saying No, Asking Boldly, and Unapologetically Being Yourself. Hi, Aziz. Welcome. Hi, Mikes. Uh, Thanks for having me. So let's define too nice, because nice is good, but too nice is maybe not so good. So where's the line? That is a really interesting question, because I think most of us uh, learned growing up that nice is good and more nice is better. But as you are pointing out, a lot of us realize at some point in our lives that uh, there is such a thing as too nice. And I think it's, it's not so much you can't look at a specific behavior and say, oh, that's too nice. Because, hey, in a certain situation, a friend needs something, your spouse needs something, your kids need something, you step up and you give a ton. So we can't look at the behavior and say, oh, that's too nice. What we got to look at is the inner state of the person, their emotional state and, and what they're doing and why they're doing it. And so if you are doing something because you were want to please the other person, because you're, uh, you can't handle it if they're upset with you, because you need them to, to be okay, then that's probably going to be too nice. Yeah. And I think of things like, you know, if, if somebody steps on your foot by accident and then you apologize, that maybe that's being too nice. Absolutely. And there's a lot of that. You know, you bump shoulders, um, two people start speaking up at the same time. You say, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. And a lot of people that are overly nice have a uh, habitual over-apology approach to life. Where does that come from? I mean, well, it starts with a nice training, as I call it. Usually a childhood, um, a primary parent, grandparent is usually the the primary, uh, whoever is our person who's bringing us up. And we get trained very early on to be nice. And that's what parents will say to their kids, be nice. And their parents are doing the best they can. They're trying to like, you know, contain the craziness. I get it. I have two kids myself. But what what most of uh, parents unconsciously are doing is saying, I want you to please me because you're easier to get along with. You're not a ruffian. You're not crazy. You're just calm and do what I want and uh, be obedient. And And on some level as parents, we want that because it's easier. And the downside, though, is then they get older and our kids have problems with being assertive, being really susceptible to peer pressure, not knowing who they are, not knowing what they want. And so the short answer is it, it comes from our upbringing. Do you think that people who are too nice know it? 
Yes. Okay. That's a, that's a great question. There's like glimmers of awareness. Am I too nice? No, no. Just keep doing what I'm doing. We see that it's not working. Like something breaks down. We get burnt out. We get, we, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we're resentful inside. Something is not working, but the idea of being not nice or less nice is totally unacceptable. So we just double down, dig in and try to be nicer. And so there's that glimmer of awareness and then we put it aside until we reach a breaking point and we say, you know what, this isn't working. And sometimes that breaking point comes from a breakup or <laughs> we need to break up and we've been in a relationship years too long or a health crisis because that stuff can take a toll on our health to be suppressing and being overly nice for many years. Something happens or we just wake up one day and, and we're fed up and we say, okay, now I get it. I'm being too nice. So there is a, a moment where people don't just get into the glimmers. They actually really get it. And then, then they're ready. Then they just got to learn and change the way that they approach life. Well, I think there is this perception, you know, people will sometimes say, well, I'd rather be nice than be a jerk, as if those are the only two options, that it's either or. You're either too nice, or if you're not too nice, you're a jerk. But it's not either or, it, it, it's a sliding scale. Absolutely right. And I think that's just, it's too simplistic. And often the idea of like, well, if I'm not nice, then I'm a jerk, right? That's, um, that's kind of trying to push us back into being nice. And people will often do this with themselves. They'll push themselves back into being too nice because to be other is um, scary. They think they're going to lose love, lose connection. But you're absolutely right. Uh, it's Think of it like a dial. And you want to turn the dial from all the way down on the nice side to just the middle. Where And that involves saying, hey, you know what? Other people and their needs and their desires matter, but so do mine. And I think the habitual nice person devalues their own needs, dismisses their own wants, and is very self-sacrificing. And so we want to just turn it up into the healthy range of give and take and of being able to say, well, what do I need here? And then being able to ask for what we need. Um, say no to people when we need to say no to them. And that puts us in the healthy medium range. Does all of this, do you think all of this have its core basis in, I care too much about what other people are going to think or say or do? Yes. And I would uh, tweak it slightly um, because then we think the answer is to not care at all, right? I care too much. Well, I shouldn't care. I think it's that when we say we care too much, it's like we can't tolerate unpleasant feelings in others. It makes my skin crawl. I'm going to freak out if, if you're upset with me or disappointed or want something that I can't give you or don't want to give you. So yes, the short answer is we care too much. And really like we're just to in, we just can't tolerate it. And so our goal is to increase our capacity uh, to handle the discomfort of someone being upset with us or being wanting something from us. Has anyone ever surveyed the population and figured out what percentage of the population either self-report as being too nice or meet some criteria as being too nice? You know, I haven't seen anything like that. I that's a great question. I, I do not know. What's your um, sense, though? To... What's your sense of the population? Is is this a, a 5% problem or a 50% problem? It's big. It's big. And I would say, I mean, you're looking at the realm of probably 50% because it's uh, it's a dominant way of being. And, and a lot, most of those people aren't going to identify, the issue is they're not going to identify as too nice. They're not going to say, yeah, I'm too nice. But if you study their behavior... And, and watch them, there's going to be 
a lot of what they're doing is coming from uh, caring too much what others think, pleasing others, shaping their life in a way so that no one could judge them. And that means holding back, not speaking up, not sharing what they're interested in, not pursuing their passion or what they want to create in their life. And yeah, maybe even more than 50% as I'm saying this. I'm speaking with Aziz Gazapura. He's author of the book, Not Nice, Stop People Pleasing, Staying Silent, and Feeling Guilty. A shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You see, for as long as I can remember, I have had to deal with seasonal allergies. Stuffy nose, watery eyes, the whole deal. And the worst for me is it messes up my sleep. I wake up because I can't breathe right. And during the day, well, you know, if I'm working and I'm all stuffed up, then my voice sounds weird and this is how I make my living. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. I use it and if you struggle with allergies, you should too. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin-D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been using Claritin-D for years because, well, just it takes care of the problem. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin-D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin-D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. So, Aziz, if I'm one of those people, if I'm too nice, how do you, how do you stop You're being, doomed. Doomed. How do you stop being too nice? I mean, because, again, the, the feeling is, well, if I'm not too nice, I'm, I'm going to be a jerk and I can't be yes. a jerk. So yes. I, it's it's uh, it, it's that ease either or thing. So how do you back it off a little? I, I love that question. And the opposite of nice is not a jerk. The opposite of nice is bold and authentic, because niceness is really this like uh, persona, this shell of like, hey, I'm I'm not even here. Whatever you want, I'm here for you. And that's not that's false. So it's really to be our bold, authentic self, and that helps people dispel the idea that they have to go somehow be a jerk or something. It's like, first, you have to kind of wake up from just that glimmer of like, hey, wait a minute, being this way in the world is not working. It's not working for me. It's not working for my relationships. I want to be less nice. So that's the first step, kind of deciding that. The next step is to do the uncomfortable stuff. And it often is uncomfortable. That means having boundaries, 
saying no. When someone's like, hey, can you do this for me? And maybe you used to always do it for them, but then you resented them. Well, you say, no, I, I'm, I can't. I'm not available then. Um, you uh, ask for what you want. You tell someone, hey, you have a difficult conversation. Like I asked you to do this and you didn't and now I'm upset with you or whatever it is. So you go do those uncomfortable things. That's the second step. And then the third step is you work through the inner discomfort because it stirs up, it can stir up guilt or anxiety. Like, oh, was I, was I too mean there? Was I too harsh? Am I, am I a bad person? And we work through that. We, we calm down. We see like, hey, you know what? This is how I want to be in the world. It's okay for me to have needs or be assertive. And then we just repeat that process. And it's like a reconditioning. It, we have to do it again and again. It's not a one-time thing. I remember uh, hearing someone talk about this once and, and it rang true for me that, you know, when, when we say no to people, we think we've devastated them, but, but, you know, we've just, <laughs> we've let them down. We've so disappointed them when yeah. actually they just cross you off the list and go to the next person to see if they'll do it because you can't. And, but, but we, we in our own mind tend to think our no is much more devastating than it is. Absolutely. And that's true with a lot of this stuff where we think with the nice uh, patterns, we think, oh, I'll crush them if I say no, or that would destroy them if I pointed out something that they did that wasn't, you know, up to my standards or whatever. The truth is that, yeah, people aren't that fragile. They don't collapse in that way. And the only way to really see that is to test it and to prove to ourselves again and again. And I can't tell you how many times I had it all built up in my head how terrible it was going to be if I said this or did that. And then I go do it and the person doesn't even bat an eye. It's not like they break down and we have to rebuild them back up. They're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then we move on. And I'm like, wow, that's what I've been avoiding for a decade. <laughs> right, right. And it was no big deal that the, the world still turns when you say no and that's okay. Yeah. And, and the big, the, what makes it this big deal is, yeah, rarely the other person's reaction. It's the, all that, dust and that sediment that gets kicked up in our head afterwards and all those stories. Oh my gosh, that was so terrible. And you know, that's where it comes back to our childhood training, our upbringing, because we're, we're reliving all this stuff from when we were growing up. And so it's not the actual present day that we're feeling all this stuff about. That person's fine. They're an adult. They're just, as you said, they cross you off the list, move on to the next one. It's all of our old past stuff. And so that's where we need to do that inner work and have ways to calm ourselves and, and see more truthfully that it's okay for us to ask for what we want. And, and deep down, the biggest fear we have about all of this, Mike, is that we're going to lose connection. We're going to, I'm going to lose, that person's going to hate me. You know, I'm going to lose my relationship. I'm going to get dumped. I'm going to, my friends are going to leave me. My boss is going to fire me. And what we need to test out and, and prove to ourselves is that my attachments are more secure than that. They're different now than when I was a kid and I, I can be me. It's safe to be authentically me in the world. There does seem to be some cultural element to this. Uh, I think of many Asian people as being too nice compared to more typical American behavior that, that, that the Asian cultures tend to foster that. Sure. It gets really interesting. Uh, yes, there in uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, I believe it was Outliers, he talks about different cultures have a scale of like how much deference they show to authority. And uh, it was Korea and other, um, I think it was Korea, uh, South Korea had the highest ratio of like, we show, and they show the most deference. And it was so extreme that they had an issue because there was a plane crash 
and the pilot was doing something wrong and the co-pilot and the other person on the plane, uh, the cockpit, did not speak up in a direct manner to that person. And they all crashed and everyone on the plane died. And it was like, it was so extreme. And so they had this, you know, crack team to get in there and try to figure out how to train these Korean pilots and co-pilots to be able to communicate with the person in authority. So that could be textbook too nice, right? I mean, to, to a detrimental degree. What's the advice, if you have some, of somebody who, you know, ha- really has trouble saying no? Um, what's a good way to say no and and understanding that it may cause you to be uncomfortable, but but at least maybe make it a little easier? I love that question. Saying no is, you got to think of it like a, I don't know, a golf swing or a tennis serve. You get better at it the more you do it. And so you can get some basic tips, which I'll give you here. But then, you know, if you try to get your golf swing perfect on the first time, eh, it's going to be a little messy. It's not going to be great. But you do it enough, and eventually it looks more smooth. So same thing with saying no. You do it more often, you'll get smoother. But a, a simple tip is first and foremost, before you open your mouth, in your mind, remember and re- reinforce in yourself, I have permission to say no. It, it's healthy to say no. Like all that stuff you were talking about, feeling like we're going to devastate people, we got to do a little uh, inner work ahead of time because if we think I'm, if I think I'm going to like crush you and you're going to hate me, it's going to be pretty hard to say no. So we got to get some of our beliefs in, in more accurate and say, you know what? People are adults. They can take care of themselves. I have a right to say no. And that might be as simple as like, you know, putting that on, a, on the background of your phone or on a post-it note. I have a right to say no. And that inner step is actually extremely important. So you could, so the words can actually come out of your mouth. Then when you're actually communicating the no, say no. Be uh, short. You don't need to like justify your no with a long story, a very apologetic story. In fact, you don't even really want to apologize. Now, if you want to convey some like, oh, bummer, you can say something like that or you can say, oh, unfortunately. So, for example, you might say, someone's like, oh, come to this thing on Saturday. No, I, I'm not going to be able to make it on Saturday. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm doing something else. But that sounds like a lot of fun and I uh, hope you guys have a good time. One of the reasons I think people don't speak up and ask for what they want and say what they're really thinking is, it, yeah, it may be because they don't want to devastate the other person, but it's also they just don't want to cause trouble. They don't want to make waves. They don't want to start a, an argument. So they, so they shut up. Yes. I have a chapter in the book called Please Don't Be Mad at Me. And it's, uh, it's that conflict avoidance that's that's part of the niceness syndrome, over too nice syndrome. It's it's and sometimes people hear conflict and they think like, you know, throwing chairs and yelling. I just mean disagreement, tension, friction. And what we need to learn is that healthy human relations of any sort, professional, business, romantic, friendship, have friction in them. If your long-going relationship with someone is frictionless, one of those two people is not being is with, is withholding a lot is hiding a lot because two humans cannot want the same thing always to the same degree at the same times i mean it just doesn't work that way and so people are going to get disappointed there's going to be a little friction and we want to shift from that's a bad thing that i better avoid to oh this is a good thing uh, and, and look i've been doing this for years it's never comfortable it's not fun but it's like, oh, I've learned to be like, oh, I'm feeling upset right now. Okay, let me see what's going on. Mm, all right, that's the person. Yeah, we had that interaction. Yep, this is what I, okay, all right, I, I need to have this conversation. And going into it, there's a little bit of dread, like, oh boy. But I know it's like medicine. 
this is going to clear the air. This is going to make us closer. This is going to help us, you know, confront the issue and solve the problem. And it does seem a lot of the time that what we dread never happens. It's never as bad as we think it's going to be, or well, almost never. Yes. And the key thing is that no matter how it is, bad or good or easy or hard, we can handle it. And that is the, the, like the root of confidence is knowing I can handle whatever happens. And I think not only that, but when people do stand up for themselves and, and show that confidence that you're talking about, I think that makes them more attractive to other people. You, you want to be with someone who's comfortable being them. My guest has been Dr. Aziz Gazapura, and his book is called Not Nice, Stop People-Pleasing, Staying Silent, and Feeling Guilty, and there is a link to his book in the show notes. Thanks, Aziz. Yeah, absolutely. That was fun. Thanks so much, Mike. As a listener to Something You Should Know, I can only assume that you are someone who likes to learn about new and interesting things and bring more knowledge to work for you in your everyday life. I mean, that's kind of what Something You Should Know was all about. And so I want to invite you to listen to another podcast called TED Talks Daily. Now, you know about TED Talks, right? Many of the guests on Something You Should Know have done TED Talks. Well, you see, TED Talks Daily is a podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday in less than 15 minutes. Join host Elise Hugh. She goes beyond the headlines so you can hear about the big ideas shaping our future. Learn about things like sustainable fashion, embracing your entrepreneurial spirit, the future of robotics, and so much more. Like I said, if you like this podcast, something you should know, I'm pretty sure you're going to like TED Talks Daily. And you get TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. I remember hearing a long time ago that you can negotiate anything, that we pay retail price for a lot of things we could get cheaper if we just asked. And while I understand that's true when it comes to cars and boats and houses, I'm not the kind of guy that's likely to ask for a discount on a bag of potatoes at the grocery store or even on a pair of pants at the department store. But maybe I should. Maybe we should be asking for discounts a lot more often when we go retail shopping. Why? Because fewer and fewer people are going retail shopping in brick-and-mortar stores, so those stores are motivated to move merchandise by matching prices, making concessions, and making it easier for you to buy. That's according to my guest, Emily Hunter. Emily is an associate professor of management at Baylor University School of Business, where she teaches negotiation and conflict management, among other things. Hi, Emily. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about negotiating. So this idea of walking into a store and negotiating the retail price on something, I think makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It's, it makes me uncomfortable. I, I've tried it a few times, and, and I'll admit they were pretty half-hearted attempts at it because it, it just doesn't feel right to me. And usually the response is, uh, no, we, we don't do that here. We, we don't negotiate. Well, first I'll say you're not alone. Um, most people are very reluctant to negotiate. It's not a skill that I think most people would consider themselves good at. But I think there is so much more opportunity now to negotiate, especially in retail and in big box stores, 
because the retail landscape is changing, as we all know, um, there's so much more online competition. And so the big box stores are desperate for you to buy. If you're in their store, if you're walking in there, they want you to make a purchase. And so they are highly motivated to work with you. And sometimes that means coming down on their price. Is it safe to say that the higher the price, the better the chances? And you know, that's not always true because I think you could even negotiate a bell pepper at a grocery store that has a bruise on it. I mean, really, it's any possible range of item that you can think of is possibly negotiable if you just remember a few, you know, kind of reminders and tips. Well, that's that's a, a good place to dive in because... People hear that. You could negotiate the price of a bell pepper with a bruise. Well, come on, really. I mean, who's going to do that? And 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 you think, well, the people that you're asking are going to think you're such a dweeb for asking right. for a few cents off a bell. Just buy the bell pepper or don't or buy another one. Exactly. And this is why I don't often negotiate uh, food at a grocery store because the savings are so nominal. But... What I keep in mind and what I teach my students is that every opportunity at a retail store is an opportunity for you to practice your skills. It's a little bit like a game. And if you think about negotiating as a game and that every time you engage in that game that you're practicing and improving your own skills, then I think it's easier for you to justify why you might negotiate the bell pepper. So let's go through some of the tactics and the strategies that you recommend to help people negotiate better, and and I'll let you lead the way. So first, when you find an item that you want to negotiate, and and it's often easier to find something that, that there's a reason why it might be more negotiable. So for example, finding some sort of defect, um, like I said, the bruise on the vegetable, something that's wrong with it, even a very minor defect, I mean, even being mislabeled on the shelf. Those are all really good reasons to try to ask for a lower price, even if it's a stain on a shirt that you know that you you know might be able to wash out. So once you find an item, though, you, you really have to kind of think on your feet once you find the defect or what, whatever it is that, that's prompting you to negotiate this item. Uh, how, do you, how do you do that? There's a few things that you can do to prepare yourself very quickly right there in the middle of that store. So I would encourage you to think about three things to prepare. The first is to set a goal for yourself. Research finds that it's really important to have a goal in mind when you're going into a negotiation, and that goal should be a really strong goal. So if you're the customer, then you should think about a really strong high discount from that that, um, shirt. Maybe the shirt's originally $20. Why don't you ask for 50% off? Because you never really know how desperate they might be willing to get rid of that item. So don't sell yourself short. Don't, you know, assume, oh, I'm probably only going to get 10% off. And so then you ask for 10%. Instead, set a high goal and ask for 50, even ask for 75% off just to start the conversation. The second thing to prepare is sort of the opposite of a goal. So what is the most you're willing to pay for that item or your red line price So if you're willing to pay the original price, the sticker price, then that's okay. But maybe you're not willing to pay that for a damaged item. So think about what is the most you're willing to pay. And then third, consider what is your best alternative to buy an item like this. So if you fail, if they reject you and they say, nope, we can't give you a discount, 
then what will you do next? What's your backup plan? And that might often be doing a little research and finding a similar item online or a similar item at another store. So three quick things you can do to prepare in the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it brings up a point of, okay, so now it's time to go talk. And I bet it, it really matters who you talk to. Definitely does matter. And so sometimes this is kind of a trial and error process, but it is best to find um, a person to talk to at the store that probably has a little more authority. That might be in a manager, but these days the retail stores are often empowering and training their cashiers and even their floor salespeople to negotiate. So don't be afraid to ask the person on the floor or to ask the cashier for a discount, because a lot of times they're empowered to go ahead and give you one right there. Now, sometimes they have a limit of what they can offer. Maybe they can only offer 15% for a damaged item. And, and that might be good enough for you. But if you want more than that, then you might need to go to a manager. And you have to keep in mind that this process happens all day long for them. Those cashiers, they are constantly having people come up and ask for discounts. You may not feel like that. You may, because you don't ever negotiate, you may feel like, oh, they're going to think I'm such a terrible person or I'm so greedy or I'm so annoying because I'm asking. But keep in mind that they have people ask them for discounts all day long. So it's a very normal thing for them. And they'll just refer you to a manager if they can't deal with it themselves. And the managers definitely deal with this all the time. And whenever you speak with someone who has the authority and who's willing to talk with you about it, they are likely to offer you a minor discount, but I encourage you to keep pushing for more. So if the item is damaged, touch the damage. Like really point out what is wrong with that item and then ask for a specific price. So what people tend to do that's, I think, a mistake is people, they want to play it safe and they want to say, oh, is there something more you can do for me? Or is this negotiable? <laughs> right, right. That's Those me. Those kind of yeah. open-ended questions, right? Because that's really safe and that's really easy to ask that. But the problem is it's so much easier to say no to an open-ended question like that. Instead, when you're negotiating retail, give a very specific price counteroffer. Don't be afraid to make a really strong discount request because the worst they can say, the worst that can happen is they can say no. So, Emily, let's role play here, okay? I'll be the clerk, and you be the customer that just found the shirt with the stain on it, and you're going to come up to me and ask me for a discount. So how, do, how does that conversation go? Great. So I would say, um, hi, how are you doing today? I'd be really nice and kind and polite. Um, you know, I have this shirt, and I, I really love this style, and it's a shirt that I want to buy, but I found this stain right here on the sleeve, and I'm not really sure if that's going to be able to come out in the wash. And so, you know, I'm wondering if I could get 50% off because of this stain. And I'm pointing to it and I'm showing you and I'm touching it. What? Get out of my store. I hate <laughs> <laughs> uh, Very unlikely that you say that to yes, me, right? Because I'm a customer and you're right, trying right, to right. make me happy. What would you say you think more reasonably? That's asking a lot, but maybe we could do something like 25%. That's really great. I really appreciate you working with me. That's really kind um, of you to offer. But this stain, I think, is worth a bit more than a 25% discount because I don't think it's going to come out. And I think it's a little bit unsightly. And you're probably going to have a hard time selling it to anyone else, to be honest. So for because of this stain, 
I would love to consider a 50% discount. Um, but do I need to talk to a manager about that? Oh, yeah. You need to talk to a manager because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk to you anymore. Yeah, that's uh, right. They're going to refer you. But but be nice and polite, right? And so don't be too annoying. And they right. may keep talking with you, but they may not be authorized. So they may have to refer you to a manager. And guess what? Managers are authorized to give you steep discounts. So you can often get more out of a manager. Because what's their motive? What happens if that, I mean, it obviously depends on what it is and where it is and everything else, but but typically what's going to happen to that shirt if you don't buy it and nobody else buys it? What, what is that a hassle for the store or, or probably not a big hassle, but they, don't, but they lose the sale? Exactly. I, it's really helpful to put yourself in the shoes of the people that work in this store um, or the people that own this store. And think about what do they want. I mean, certainly they want a, a sale. They want profit from you. They also want to make you happy. So it's helpful to use persuasive tactics, persuasion, to remind them of what's important to them. So the way that I was sort of saying, um, maybe no one else is going to buy this shirt, you know, I'll take it off your hands is one way to think about it. But I could also help them buy something else like, um, I'm willing to buy three other full price shirts if you'll give me a 50% discount on this one shirt. Okay, but what if there's nothing wrong and you, there isn't a shirt up there, there isn't a cabinet with a, a, a defect? It's just yeah. that you, you'd like a better price or you'd like to test the waters and see if there's a better price. And there's nothing to discuss about the product. It's just you think it's high. So maybe you could get it for less. You know, one way to do that is to compare it to an alternative um, somewhere else where you could buy the same product for less. And people do this all the time, right? It's the price matching policies that most stores have. So if you can find it cheaper online and you can show the clerk or the manager that price online, they'll often match prices. This is the way that they're trying to stay competitive. But I would encourage you to ask for an additional 10% beyond the price match if you buy it today, right now. Oftentimes I'll look online and and the price online is the same as the price in the store and, and it's the same everywhere. And there's really no, there's nowhere to dig in. It's just... I mean, can, I, I, I guess it still can't hurt to ask, but you, you don't have much evidence to support your position if everybody's selling it for the same price, including this guy. That's right. So it kind of depends. If it's a really high dollar item, like a TV, a full price high-end TV, or especially any sort of furniture, a lot of times those items are marked up. And so they will still bargain with you, even though there's nothing wrong with it. Um, so you can, especially on furniture, have a lot of wiggle room to negotiate a lower price, even without finding any sort of defects. But again, you're not going to be a hundred percent successful, right? I don't think every item is negotiable, but I think that there are some circumstances where you can push yourself to try to negotiate when you normally wouldn't have thought about that or wouldn't have had the courage to try. I think probably the most interesting thing to me that you've said, because I've never thought of this, is that those clerks in those stores, when you're feeling all sheepish about going to ask for that discount, people have been doing that to them all day long. And and I never think of that. I think I'm the one that's making a fool of myself, asking that's for right. 20% off this shirt because there's a stain on it. But you're, you're saying that's just not true. That's right. I, I think that it's really not unusual to them. The fears that you build up in your brain about what they think about you are much more elaborate and imaginative than what they actually think about you. They may find you slightly annoying because it's taking longer to interact with you than their normal interaction. 
but they are not going to think that you're a jerk. And you said that, you know, th- that practicing these skills m- can help you, say, in a job interview, but it, it doesn't necessarily seem to me as if those it's directly transferable because it's such a different kind of negotiation. But yeah. but you're going to tell me I'm wrong, so go ahead. No, I do want to point out that it is a very different negotiation. Anytime that you are um, working with someone that you have a relationship with or you're trying to foster a relationship, you actually use somewhat very different skills to negotiate those kind of interactions. So I could talk all day about salary negotiations, but those negotiations, you're going to really work to build that relationship with your future boss or your future employer. But ultimately, it still requires the same level of confidence that you can negotiate. And so many people especially we know women are not negotiating their job offers. And this can maybe partially explain the gender wage gap, right? There's a lot of research on that. And so I, I really want to empower women, especially to negotiate their job offer every time. And so we can build our confidence up in these smaller interactions so that we're ready for the job offers. I remember talking with someone, perhaps an interview, I think on this podcast of uh, somebody who was an expert in salary negotiations who who said that there was some research because people's fear is that if you look too greedy, they're going to say, well, then forget it, we'll hire somebody else. That that they couldn't find any incidents of that ever happening, that that asking yes, for more money. I completely agree. I have, I have worked with a lot of HR professionals and uh, managers who extend job offers. Um, we bring these people into our career fairs here at Baylor University. And so I I will often talk to those people at the career fair about the negotiating experience because I want to know if I'm empowering my students to negotiate job offers, I want to make sure that that's okay, that that I'm doing the right thing and not teaching them to you know just be greedy and ask for higher salary and that employers don't like that. I have never heard a hiring manager or an HR person tell me that they would take the job offer away. Actually, they are all almost universally happy that I'm teaching negotiating skills because their employees need these skills at work and they want their their candidate job candidate to try to negotiate even if maybe they can't give any higher salary they love to see the candidates try and so the biggest fear that people have is that that job offer will be taken away if they seem too greedy I've never had a student tell me a job offer was taken away entry-level jobs you know fresh out of college never taken away. I've never had a hiring manager tell me that they would take that job offer away. So I think that fear is just in our minds. Yeah. Well, I remember also in that same conversation that someone said, not only has it never happened, but it's expected that the the HR people expect you to ask for more. That's why they offered you less. (laughs) Yes. You have to consider that they may not be giving you the best salary that they could, that they may be shooting at the lowest end of the range that they have available And some jobs, think about it like sales or other jobs where you're going to actually negotiate on the job, that hiring manager might be disappointed if you don't negotiate. And they may think, maybe I hired the wrong person. So if it's expected as part of the job, then I would absolutely negotiate it and come in strong and well-prepared. Well, it's empowering to hear you talk because I think most people would say, eh, I, you know, I don't want to be the one. I don't want to be that guy. Like there's only one guy that does that. But it, lots of people do it. And it's in many ways expected. And, and, and 
the world won't come to an end if they say no. You just, you buy the shirt or you don't and you go home. That's right. It's okay if you don't buy the shirt. It's fine. You'll find another shirt somewhere else. <laughs> My guest has been Emily Hunter. She is an associate professor of management at Baylor University School of Business, where she teaches negotiation and conflict management, among other things. And there's a link to her website in the show notes. Thanks for being here, Emily. Yes, thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Well, nothing will ruin your day like having your car break down. And yet most of the time, it's preventable. According to Walt Brinker, author of Roadside Survival, the majority of times that cars break down, it's tire-related. It's usually a flat or a blowout. And that is usually because the tires are underinflated. Take care of your tires, and they'll take care of you. Another reason people break down is they run out of gas, and it's also preventable. Still, it happens. And often, even if you go get a gallon of gas to put in your empty tank, it still won't start. Why? Because when you're pulled over to the shoulder, your car usually isn't level. It's probably leaning to the right, and then the gas pools to the right of the tank, and you can't get it where it needs to go to start the engine. Walt says the solution is to rock the car while someone turns the key to try to start it. And still another reason cars break down is the car just stops working. And Walt says very often it's just a case of the clamp on the battery terminal becoming loose. Check that first, and it may be all you need to do to fix it. And that is something you should know. You know, I would love it if this podcast was the most listened to podcast on planet Earth, which is, you know, setting your goals pretty high, but uh, you got to have goals. So help us reach it. Please tell someone you know about this podcast. Recommend they give it a listen. I'm Mike Carruthers. Thanks for listening today to Something You Should Know. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.